Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to be with you and uh, good to be able to, to worship with you now through the word. Turn to Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to camp out. Speaking of a holy night, there's a phrase in that song that uh, is really, really good, especially right now. A weary world rejoices. Man, I tell you what, um, I think statistically we fared better this year than we thought we were. Like Christmas was more optimistic than I think many had 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 uh, anticipated. Uh, perhaps one of the reasons why a weary world rejoiced this year was the Christmas star. Who saw the Christmas star? I mean, if there's anything that's going to breathe a little bit of hope, right? It's like oh, Jupiter and Saturn. No one has become more uh, astronomers than they have this year. Like we've, we've become experts in how the constellations move and, and the orbit of planets. So Jupiter, Saturn, alignment on Monday night, the 21st, 6.30 p.m. How many of you ate dinner early that night because we got to go see the Christmas star? So we went out and saw the Christmas star. Who saw the Christmas star? It was too late, yeah. Saw pictures. So we're out there, and right, and there's a couple neighbors outside looking at the Christmas star, and uh, love these neighbors. Couple houses down, they're Cowboys fans, so it's, they're hard not, they're hard not to love. Um, but we're out, and then uh, we're looking at the Christmas star, and all of a sudden, my youngest launches this like LED, like little like UFO thing into the air just to have fun, and and my neighbor goes, "Oh man, so it's not only a Christmas star, but the angels are coming." Right? And then he says, Jesus, like in a derogatory way, Jesus. And I said, yeah, he's coming too. And then everyone was just kind of quiet, like, there's pastor again. Yeah, reminding us that Jesus is coming back. And then no later, no, literally an hour later, Hudson and I are in the car and we're listening to the radio and they're talking about the Christmas star. And the, the, this is a total non-Christian secular radio station talk show guy talking about the Christmas star and the fact that Jesus is coming again, but he says, but I don't want him to come yet because I've got some big plans this weekend. <laughs> Which is interesting. So within the span of an hour, two references to the coming of Christ. Now, admittedly, I was one of those guys, and perhaps still am a little bit, where it's kind of like, uh, I've got some things on the calendar that I would prefer to wait if Jesus didn't come back till after. Right? I remember being a young teenager going, Lord, I want to get married, and if, and if I can only get married, then come afterward. As if getting married is a bigger event than the second coming of Christ. Has anyone ever thought that, or am I the only heathen sinner in the, in the room? Hi, my name's Scott, and uh, I'm a sinner and a heathen. And, uh, but the second coming of Christ is an important topic. Matter of fact, it may be one of the most important doctrines of Christianity. It, is it in bold dogmatic categories that, like you've heard me say before, I have three categories of doctrine. Bold dogmatic, dogmatic, puppy dogmatic. Bold dogmatic are the categories I would die for. I, I name the big three are these. Deity of Christ, salvation by grace, and the resurrection of Jesus. But could the second coming of Christ be in that category? I would say yes. It is one of the most important doctrines of our faith. And what an appropriate topic to talk us out of 2020 and prepare us for 2021. If we get to 2021, if you catch my drift. <laughs> out of 260 chapters in the New Testament, the second coming of Christ is mentioned no less than 318 times. Just in the New Testament. One out of every 23 verse, 25 verses mentions the second coming of Christ. 
of the prophecies that are mentioned in the Old Testament, 300 plus, at least a hundred of them, a third, apply to the second coming of Christ. Here's the fact. God wants to remind us that this world is not all there is. God wants to remind us that there is another part of our lives, and that's the eternal part. You've heard of YOLO, right? You only live once, and I usually follow up with, and then you live forever. But that doesn't work. Y-O-L-O-T, whatever. You only live once, and then you live forever. See, we tend to have our aim far too low. We tend to have our perspectives way too shallow when it comes to thinking about the next great event of our faith. Just like Jesus came the first time, though it didn't have pomp and circumstance and all the regalia that his second coming is going to have, we are still called to be watchful, to be ready, to comfort the disciples. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 3, which I love. I I go and prepare a place for you, right? He says, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. See, this is right after... He says, don't fear, but be peaceful. Be at rest because I'm preparing a future for you. See, the idea of what is yet to come is to, it's meant to comfort us. It's meant to encourage us. Just like Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, right? This is transitory. Heaven is eternal, And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, waiting for our blessed hope, which now continues, you can go to the next slide, out of Titus, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Look at that phrase, blessed hope. Here's what I want you to write down in your notes. It's actually happy hope. It's our happy hope. And you know why people aren't happy today? is because they put their hope in non-happy things. If you think about it, happiness we derive from what we think is going to ultimately satisfy us or delight us. There is only one thing that is going to bring you an, an everlasting eternal hope, and that is your relationship with God. And all the things that are connected to him The second coming is our happy hope. Why? Because that's the kingdom. This is why the kingdom of God is such an important topic at the lips of Jesus. Because within that kingdom lies your hope. And it's a hope that will never disappoint. Guys, 2021, should we get there? I always have to put that caveat in there. Because Jesus could come back today. But should we go into a new year? The goal is to have a hope in something that is everlasting and eternal and a hope that will not disappoint. Now, it's no, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things, but to put your hope in things? How much hope did we put into things this year and that hope has disappointed us? Too much to mention. But yet a weary world can rejoice in something that perhaps we've lost sight of. The fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. What you put your hope in determines your happiness. This is why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Because if you don't make that your priority, all other things are going to give you this false appearance of satisfaction and delight, and it's going to disappoint you. It's going to disappoint you. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Henceforth, wow, that's a cool word, huh? Use that this work week. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also all those who have loved his appearing. This says there is a reward for those who can't wait. They're excited. They're anticipating something good and glorious and better than, than this world could ever offer us. So there is a reward for those who love his appearing. So those are just some basic, again, there's 318 verses. I'm not going to give you that many. I'll give you four. And then Luke chapter 12. Yay! There is a God. Merry Christmas. All right, so up until now, Luke chapter 12, uh, we have talked about um, the 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 warnings against material greed. Jesus has talked to us about warning us to not worry over material things. He's, he's talked to us about how important the stewardship of the gospel is, how important the stewardship of our possessions are. But now he's going to talk about time, which is connected to Jesus' coming, right? Because we don't know the day or the hour. What you do today is, is, is eternally important. Should we wake up tomorrow? Tomorrow what we do is eternally important with our time. And so we're going to talk about two things this morning. Jesus' promise of return, and secondly, Jesus' promise of reward. And I can't think, again, of a better way to end this year and head into the new year. Because these are things that we need to keep in mind that are, again, eternally important. Luke chapter 12. Now, granted, there's going to be some difficult language in this text, and we're going to, we're going to navigate this together, but um, God wants us to understand how important this is and that, and that there's some severe language. And I think when people read this, I don't think they're anticipating the severity of the words that Jesus uses. You'll see that in a moment. But look at verse 35, chapter 12. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Whether he comes in the second hour or the third hour but finds them so, blessed are those slaves. And be sure of this, verse 39, if the head of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Peter says, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone as well? And the Lord masterfully doesn't answer his question. That's what I love about Jesus. Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. 
And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. And from everyone who has been given much, much shall be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. May God write his eternal truths upon our hearts this morning. So, two things. Jesus promises his return, and Jesus promises rewards. First, return. So Jesus says, be ready. Be ready, keep your, hand, uh, your lamps lit. And then he gives us two parables. One is the, the master who's at a, at a wedding party is going to come back and the servants of that master are anticipably awaiting his, his arrival. And then he gives us this another picture of the thief breaking into a, a, a home. And so here's what I want to do is I want to communicate this section of Jesus' return because I think it pivots on one word and it's this, relationship. Is Jesus the master of your life that you're looking forward to his arrival there's delight there's pleasure there's this sense of affection we can't wait for the master to come or is your light life full of dread meaning you are overprotective of your home and stuff and you're hoping that the thief doesn't break in and steal what you have accumulated Here's the difference. Is your relationship with God of that of a friend? Or is your relationship with God of that as an enemy? See, this is, this is the biggest question right here. This is why we have to address return before rewards. See, the rewards are the, that's the, that's the bonus. But the main key thing is this. Are you ready? Do you, do you know him who has promised to come? Who do you know? Who do you trust? This is the topic of relationship. And the nature of this relationship and how you perceive your future is going to determine your present priorities. There's people who claim to know Christ and they have no interest in the future. All they want to do is protect themselves here and now. And there's no happiness because they don't anticipate the happy hope of Christ coming but if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and realize that everything's going to be taken care of there's something in the life of that man or woman that says my anchor is in something future eternal everlasting I don't want your lives my life to be filled with disappointment I want us to be eagerly anticipating something. So let's first talk about the returning master and kind of tease this out a bit because there's some cultural things you need to understand. So the returning master is the one that, this picture that says we are, we are eagerly, uh, excitedly waiting for the master to arrive. So the wedding parties, just so you guys know, in Jewish culture would last for days. Now I don't know about you, but some of you have been to some pretty amazing wedding, wedding parties. My wife and I remember one wedding party. Listen to this. It was at the Biltmore, and it was all-you-can-eat snow crab legs. I mean, I just say that right there and go, that would be any party you guys have ever been to, all right? Um, have you, amazing. But guess what? That party may have lasted three hours. In Jewish culture, days. The Jews knew how to party. Can I, can I, I grew up with Jewish friends. 
all my friends, I didn't know it at the time because I, I didn't know Christ and I didn't know anything about Jewish culture, but all my friends were Jewish and when they turned 13, they had this thing called a bar mitzvah, right? Bar mitzvah for boys, bat mitzvah for, for girls, right? So I just had guy friends, right? Because I was cool like that. Um, and we'd always go out and buy like these really expensive gifts because that's what you did when a boy celebrated a bar mitzvah. I mean, all my friends, Sasha, Judson, I mean, these are Clayton, these are cool they all got like calculator watches. And I just remember going, those are cool watches, right? Like, mom, can we become Jewish? Like, I, that was the conversation in our home. And I'm just like, man, these people know how to celebrate. If you look at the Jewish history, these people know how to party. And I, and I love this perspective that the Jewish culture embraced this idea of a wedding party, and they could just party for day after day after day. But here's the thing. When that master left to go to the party, those slaves that were less left in charge of the home didn't know if that, that guy would come back 24 hours, 48 hours, 36 hours. So what they had to do, being left with the responsibility to attend for the home, is just to constantly be on attention. Right? Just to, just constantly, three things I'm going to put, put in your notes. They had to wait expectantly. They had to watch excitedly, and they had to work eagerly. Three things. They were waiting, they were watching, they were working. And I think all these things are worthy of note because if it was during the day when the master came back, there was someone probably perched on top of the house or outside just like, is it, do we see it? There he is! There he is! All right, and, then, and they make sure, and even before the master knocked on the door, they were right there like, come on in. Like that is, that's observance. That's, that's being just on top of it. If it was at night, they wanted to make sure that the lamps were continually burning, right? So that the, that the master wasn't walking through the, you know, the, the city going, okay, what, what house is mine again, right? You know, the guy's been partying, right? Give him, give him some clues, right? Like over here, don't walk into Shmuel's house, right? Your house is here. Shmuel, you like that name? So day or night, that's why Jesus says, uh, we don't know if it's the second hour, third hour, four hour, because the Romans would divide the cal daily calendar into four sections, Jews uh, divided into three. But it doesn't matter if it's at 2 p.m. or 2 a.m., if it's at breakfast or if it's at fourth meal. We just don't know. So Jesus says, number one, wait expectantly. Meaning, and, and let me just say, waiting's hard, isn't it? Waiting is so hard, but, but Isaiah 64, verse 4, wonderful promise from God. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Is that good? Meaning, we always have a sense about us that God could come at any time. There's a general disposition of our hearts, of our minds, that just know. And I think what we have to consider is when, when Jesus says in verse 35, dressed in readiness, can I, can I give you a, a great passage? Write down Colossians chapter 3. This is bonus verse. I didn't give this to, to the slides people. And, and I, I want you to know, when you are dressed for readiness, it helps you wait expectantly. And what do I mean by that? 
you're clothed in things like righteousness and you're clothed in things like humility and you're clothed in things like gentleness and you're clothed in things like like love and you're clothed in things like serving and you're clothed in anything that looks like jesus that's what you put on spiritually as a disciple of his so that the waiting can be expectant right if you're clothing yourself with the spirit of christ the character of christ it's going to keep your heart tethered to what is ultimately important. But not only waiting expectantly, you need to also watch excitedly. <laughs> now, I need to say at this point that there is a watching fearfully that's happening right now in our Christian culture. There's a watching fearfully, which God says, don't do that. Watch excitingly. What's the difference? I'll tell you, here's the difference. Some social media posts by some Christians where it's like, Oh no, the mark of the beast is here. Don't get vaccinated. Don't vote for this person, right? These are the end of times. And they start throwing scripture out there and Christians are like, <laughs> you're not meant to live like this. Can I tell you right now? And, I, and, and you can challenge me all you want on this. The mark of the beast isn't a shot. The mark of the beast isn't a microchip. The mark of the beast isn't Biden as president. <laughs> you know what the mark of the beast is, biblically? A heart that doesn't know Christ. Ephesians 1 says you're marked by the Spirit if you know Christ. If you're not mar marked by the Spirit, you're marked by the beast. That's all it is. Please stop perpetuating a false biblical narrative where th people think that it's, it's a good thing to be scared into knowing Christ. There is no genuine faith if for the only reason you know Christ is for the fact that you're scared to death. There's no beauty in the gospel. To scare, the left behind stuff. Stop. You don't want to die in a plane crash, right, when the pilot's raptured, so therefore come to know Jesus. What is there about the beauty of the gospel in that? Can I get an amen from somebody? Stop with the antichrist stuff. There is no Antichrist, capital A, that you're going to say it's Barney, it's Biden, it's Trump, whatever. The spirit of the Antichrist is anyone who opposes Jesus, and there's a lot of them out there. Stop being fixated on the mark of the beast and the Antichrist and the end of times. Every generation has thought they've lived in the end of times. There are rumors of famine and wars and this and that. It's always been among us. The Bible says don't be pre preoccupied with waiting and watching in fear and trying to discern the times. Just be the man and woman God wants you to be today and wait excitingly. Can I get an amen? Full stop, period. Like, we could be done right now, right here. But we're not going to be. Sorry, Michael Pettis. <laughs> See, we are not living lives with this end times fear we are living our lives with an eternal mindset that brings a happy hope. There's an observing in our lives that looks for the master to return. And you know, we're excited about that. I remember, so my kids reminded me yesterday when we went to see Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, we did that. Sorry. Um, so we're driving through the, the parking lot, right? And my kids want me like, to speed through like, these you know, huge sections of the parking lot that are empty. And they remember when they were little that dad used to drop mom off at Target or Walmart. 
And while we were waiting and watching for mom to come out of the store, I wouldn't just sit there in the minivan letting them watch VeggieTales. I would actually like do these like races through the parking lot. And they're like, Dad, go faster, go faster. Totally illegal, totally not a good role model. Okay, I'll give you that. This is confession. But I'll tell you what, they had fun because while we were watching excitedly for mom to appear, because I didn't want her to wait with all those bags of Target and Walmart swag on her arms, right, that we're out there in the parking lot doing something while we're waiting. And I was always looking like, all right, guys, keep an eye out for mom. As soon as she comes out, we want to make sure we're right up curbside service, baby, right? And there was just something fun about that, right? We, didn't just, we weren't just idle. We weren't just wasting time. We were doing something. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, how often are we just kind of living our lives, driving our minivans around, but yet we're always like, okay, is, is Jesus coming? <laughs> is he there? there? There's something wonderfully healthy about that that he could come at any moment, and it's an exciting arrival. Amen? Third thing is that you're working eagerly. Like I said, there's, there's the people that would hold themselves up in the Appalachian Mountains and have a sign on their door saying the end is near, repent. Right? And there's people that live their lives like that where it's like, we're just going to kind of just, just sit here in our holy huddle and just wait for Jesus to arrive. Can I just say that's so unbiblical? You are to work eagerly because the days are short and there's eternal work to be done. And Jesus says he wants to come and he wants, to, he wants you to immediately open that door even before he knocks. He wants to see you that you've cleaned the house, you've prepared the candles, you've made the beds, you've got bread baking in the oven, right? Like there's spiritual work to be done and there's always something to do. Clean the house, I know. He'll clean your house. Just be careful, Rod, all right? So here we are. We are to work eagerly. There's action and activity while we wait. If all of a sudden your mentality of Jesus is this, like, oh, I'm saved, and therefore throw your life on cruise control till the end, you're missing out. You are missing out. There is still things to do. There's still a God who wants to work. There's still people who need to be saved. There's kingdom stuff that needs to get done. Look what happens when the master comes back. This is probably one of the most, this is the part in the parable that Jesus tells that really struck a chord with me. Look at this. Chapter 12, verse 39. And be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known, no, 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 back, sorry. Verse 37. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert, right? There's a readiness, there's an attentiveness, there's a vigilance. When he comes, truly I say to you, notice what the master does when he comes back. He will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. The reward for waiting, watching, working, to the master's delight and pleasure is that he comes home after the party and puts a, 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 a towel around his waist and says, now let me serve you. Okay, write the word serving down in your notes. Ladies and gentlemen, 
I'm going to tell you right now, this may be the missing jewel in our lives as Christians in this world. Because we think of serving as dirty work. We think of serving as below us. We embrace the opposite of what Jesus, right? I don't come to to serve, I come to be served. Guilty. But Christ comes and says in Mark, I didn't come to, to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. But here's the thing you need to understand about this master. He never stops serving his people. We have a God who serves us and delights to serve us. This is, this is the thing. Like, look at how the master rewards his servants. I mean, think about how symbolically this happened at the Last Supper. Jesus walks into a room where they're all fighting about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And without saying a word, Jesus puts on a towel, grabs a basin of water, and begins to wash their feet. And all of a sudden, there's this now humble pie desserts being served before the meal. Because symbolically, Jesus is saying something. You want to be great, you got to become least. But prophetically, this is a picture of what we would call the marriage supper of the Lamb that is yet to happen. When the Bible tells us that there will be men and women from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and from every tribe and tongue and nation and people group that will be seated at the table of the Lamb and the Lamb who is the guest of honor and the Lamb that is going to be sung about and praised and glorified is that same guest of honor who is going to gladly serve those of us who are seated at that table. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to start rethinking what it means to serve not just Christ but his church. And perhaps the missing ingredient in our spiritual lives is this point of service. Jesus always placed a high premium on service and he shows us that he's going to honor faithfulness and service right here. God is a God of the unexpected. Those, those servants didn't expect their master to serve them. How, how wonderfully, oh boy, what's the word? Just when I'm just at a loss for words. I'm going to say it this way. Serving is God's glory. Serving ought to be our glory. Just when you thought you have God figured out, he comes and he just reverses roles which tells you how much we put a premium on roles. Isn't it? Like, why do we have to, oh, he's the boss and they're the employee or they're the master, they're the slave. Here's Jesus saying, if you share the same heart of service I do, I'm going to gladly reward you and show you what, how wonderful service is. Serving is God's glory. That's why I'm going to tell you three things right now. If you want to continue to grow in your spiritual walk, you're going to love these things. Three things that must happen. And guess what? One of them is not going to church. One of them is not going to church. Church attendance is is not even on the list. Here's the top three things. If you want to continue to grow in Christ, three things must be present in your lives. Number one, you must be in some small group environment. You must find people that you connect with outside of Sunday morning and grow deep with. 
Number two, you must be a giving believer. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And number three, you must serve the church. Woo! Statistically, men and women who grow deeper and more mature in Christ have those three qualities in their lives. You must be in a small group environment, you must be giving to the church, and you must be serving the church. If one of those three, three things is not happening, your life will be hindered in Christ. So, where does that leave us? Well, here's the shameless plug. You guys are a giving church. I praise God for your generosity. Don't stop. <laughs> Don't stop. Number two, you guys are an intimately connected church, which I love. Thirdly, we definitely need to do some work in the serving area. And what this means is this. Find a place just to get down and dirty. Kids, barista, folding programs, whatever. Go to Mercy Hill. Serve the church. If the serving piece is not in your life, you're greatly hindered in growing in Christ. Let me define service so we understand what we're talking about. Service means doing things out of our lives that are costly to ourselves but aim to bring temporal and eternal benefits to others. Here in that definition, serving is not easy. Serving is not inexpensive. Serving is time-consuming. Serving means doing things out of our lives that are costly to ourselves but aim to bring temporal and eternal benefit to others. Philippians chapter 2. Had the attitude that was in Christ who did not consider himself more important than anybody else but humbled himself. Why? Because he considered your needs more important than his needs. See, we think of service as, yeah, I'm not really into that. No one asked you if you were into it. Do it. <laughs> right? Like, as a pastor... As church leaders, we shouldn't be begging people to help in areas. And I don't care if it's your thing or not. I mean, can, can I just be just brash and bold? We've got a lot of fat people, and we need more fit believers. Work out your salvation by serving the church, and I don't care if it's your cup of tea or not. No pun intended. Here's the question that ought to preoccupy. This is, the, this is the question I believe that God wants us to wrestle with. How can I do the greatest good for people who need my help no matter what it costs me? That's the servant's attitude. Right? And if you think I'm going to harp on this now and this is it, it's not. Because there's one thing I'm praying for next year. That everyone in Missio Dei Church serves Missio Dei Church. You ask about goals? That's one of my goals. Start serving someplace. So, start praying about it. Because guess what? We're going to have conversations. Because stuff needs to get done. And like football game, as you heard me say, there's 22 men on the field in dire need of rest while there's 70,000 fans in dire need of exercise. PC days, pre-COVID. But the unexpected thief, point number two in this parable, 
This is, the, this is the fact that there's no relationship with God because you're constantly living in fear that someone's going to break into your house and steal your stuff. Remember, Jesus already established that none of the stuff is yours. <laughs> Remember that? Why are we so overly protective of stuff that you're not going to take into eternity? There's no U-Hauls going into the, into the eternal gates. <laughs> right? There's, there's a sense that if you are not prepared to meet and know the master, he's going to come at you like a thief. Unpreparedness comes at great risk. Notice, while the analogy that Jesus gives of the master service I, uh, servant image is meant to bring encouragement, the owner thief motif is meant to warn us. And this is not God's trick, where it's like, you know, ready or not, here I come. Bah! And he's just going to burst into our lives and, and he wants to just trick us and steal from us. But you have to understand that his delay is all about his grace. That he is not only a long-suffering God, but he's also a God who says, my desire is for none to perish, but for all to have eternal life. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Right? Too many, there's, the, in the 70s, they made these end times movies, and one was literally called A Thief in the Night. Who saw it? Scared the bejesus out of me, right? But it's this idea that, no, we want to tell people to prepare themselves so that the eternity is not scary, that the coming of Christ is not to be feared, but that this is all his. Your home, your possessions, your work, your health, your life, none of it is yours. The relationship with him makes all the difference. Is he the dreaded thief or is he the delightful master? That's the question. Do you delight in the fact that Jesus is coming again? I do. So he's coming, the promise of his return, but with him is going to come something else. Rewards. Point number two. Check this out. Verse 41. Peter says, Lord, are you... <laughs> addressing this to us and i love i love peter like he he wants to know like it, am i to stay in this lane or or do i need to switch lanes is this for somebody else or and jesus doesn't answer his question like he often does because i think peter has a very narrow mindset and i think jesus addresses it in a way he says this is for everybody and in reality, that there's an evaluation coming for those that are faithful, and there's an evaluation coming to those who are unfaithful. Matter of fact, let me give you the blanks now so I don't fail to forget, so you're not texting me at 3 in the afternoon going, what was the third blank, Pastor Scott? There's a few of you out there that do that, and I love you. The faithful will be commended, while the unfaithful will be condemned. You have a picture of faithfulness, verses 42, 43, 44, where the master arrives and says, you've been faithful. You've worked hard. You've kept the master's interests at heart. So therefore, because of your faithfulness, I'm going to put you in charge of all my possessions. Think about that. Let's, let's, start, let's just continue on this, this, this thought because we embrace a Christianity that is not like what the bumper sticker says. I don't know how many of you have seen this. Jesus is coming. Look busy. You guys ever seen that one? Like, <laughs> just better start doing something. Like, no, Jesus isn't into that. He doesn't want you to look busy. He wants you 
to live a life of accountability. There's the, so if relationship was the word for the first point, the accountability is the word for the second section. You have been entrusted with the master's stuff. You are a steward. You are not an owner, you're a manager. This has everything to do with rewards. And how much has Jesus already talked about this in chapter 12? The, 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 the owner mindset is the thief breaking in and I'm gonna steal, he's going to steal everything I've accumulated and I'm going to end up with nothing. So what is a profit of man if he ends up what, with the whole world yet loses his soul? But if your mindset is that of a manager, you realize you are accountable for a lot of stuff that doesn't belong to you. And a good manager always seeks the the welfare, the best of the master, the owner. So here's what Jesus says. How do you manage what God has entrusted to you? Are you faithful with what he has given to you? And faithfulness is connected to his will. Faithfulness is connected to his desires. Faithfulness is, is, is only good when it's connected to his estate. This is not about you. This is about his kingdom. Look what Jesus says. He says when he finds us faithful, doing his will, he's going to set us over all his possessions. And now there's some people, and I, and I think this is worthy of note, that there's this sense of fairness when it comes to Christianity. There's this sense of, well, I've been a Christian for 40 years but that guy accepted Jesus on his deathbed. How many of you have been frustrated with that? Like, why should God allow that guy into heaven when he's lived a life of total sin and recklessness for 70 years? And what have I received? Because I've been serving Jesus for 60 years. And why does God allow him and not... Can I just stop? Number one, the fact that you are loved by him is gift enough. The fact that you get to go to heaven is gift enough. But here's what you miss out on with that perspective. The fact that you living faithfully and obediently as a believer all your life or however many years you've known Jesus is going to result in rewards in heaven that that person who only knows Jesus for a few minutes at the end won't experience. You've heard me say this before. There are rewards in heaven for people. There are rewards in heaven for people. And, I, and, and let me just say this. God's servants, if you're, if you're claimed by Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, there is a desire, and I'm going to say this is a huge sign of, of spiritual life. There is a huge desire to make every effort to find out what God's will is and do it. If there is a person that is not interested in God's will, I'm questioning that person's salvation. One of the true marks of a believer is someone who says, I will desperately, daily seek to discover what God wants me to do and do it. The sign of a person who doesn't know Christ is the person that sits there and goes, I'm going to fight God on everything he says he wants me to do. That is not the spirit of a son or daughter. But let me continue with the rewards of heaven. Write down that phrase, rewards of heaven. The Bible is clear when it comes to rewards. 
I mean, we already talked about the crown of righteousness for those who love his appearing, right, from Timothy. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you can write that down, that there's some who build their lives with gold and brick and, and things that are going to surpass the fire and, and God's going to reward them. And then there's going to be some that, that get in even though they built their life with wood, hay, and stubble. And there's certain degrees Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 5 where there's certain rewards for people who live faithfully and live obediently. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. That we're going to get to heaven someday, and here comes Brenda, and she's got this coat on, and there's ribbons, and she's carrying trophies. And people are like, what? That's awesome! But I'm also kind of jealous. Look at her, and look at me! Right? And there's just not some guy walking around, like, you know, with barely anything. Maybe he's got, like, a, 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 a sleeveless shirt on and some, you know, surf shorts, and just kind of like, I'm here, right? Here I am. Burger King crown, right? It's paper. It's not real. I'm here, but boy, look at Brenda. She's just like ribbons and trophies and awards. And here's what I'm going to tell you. The subjective experience of heaven is going to be different for all of us. All of us will be equally saved. All of us will know the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. All of us will be singing. All of us will be rejoicing. All of us will be praising and delighting but but the experience is going to be different and let me illustrate it this way and i love this illustration forgive me if you've heard it before so someone is an expert car mechanic i i know how to barely change oil okay but say there's someone who is like a a master mechanic who just is like they're talking all the lingo and they know how to work on cars and they watch YouTube videos differently than I do, <laughs> right? They're watching, they're, and they're like drooling because like, dude, check out that wrench. I'm like, they've invested their lives knowing that trade. They've invested their lives knowing tools and, and how, you know, are those things called bolts and nuts? Yeah, they go together, right? And they're just, for me, I just sit there and go, eh, whatever. They're going to appreciate something far greater than I will. Because that's what they devoted their lives to. Let's talk about music, because that's one of my... Say I go to the symphony, and I go with Josh. Josh is an amazing musician. Say Josh has spent 50 years playing violin. 40 years. 35? 35 years playing the violin. And we go, and we're going to go see Vivaldi's Four Seasons, which is one of my favorite, right? Because it showcases the violin. But Josh has studied the violin for 35 years. I've never touched a violin. We go to the symphony, and we hear Vivaldi's Four Seasons in its entirety. Summer, fall, winter, spring, four, four movements. We walk out of that concert, that symphony, and we both have thoroughly enjoyed it. Right? It's the same symphony, same music, but how we perceive and experience the music is going to be different he's going to hear things that to a trained violinist is able to detect, point out, isolate. Whereas me, I'm just enjoying the music. But because of a life of faithfulness and devotion to a particular instrument, that experience of the symphony is going to be far different for him than it is for me. When you cultivate a life of faithfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ, it will be rewarded with a subjective experience of heaven that is going to be unlike those who barely get in 
on their last breath. Do you understand, people, why this is so important? Like, you have no idea of the experience of heaven that you will go through for eternity because you have devoted your life to a life of godliness and holiness and faithfulness. It's not wasted. The fact that any of us are there is going to be a sheer evidence of God's grace. But don't sit there and think, like, why is that guy in? And why does that woman get in? Why, why are you there? Don't think you're better than anyone else. Stay in your lane, live a life of faithfulness, and let God reward you accordingly. Amen? But conversely, we have to talk about this. H-E double hockey stick. Right? Or if you want to do a PC, you know, the, the, the dad joke. You guys ready? Heck. What is heck? Heck is eternal darnation from gosh. I'm sorry, that was bad, wasn't it? So while the faithful steward will be commended, the unfaithful one will be condemned. Notice the severity of the language. And, and, and while we, in the faithful steward parable, don't have necessarily degrees of rewards, we seem to have that there's degrees of punishment in hell. Maybe Dante's Inferno wasn't far off. How many, how many rings of hell did he have? Nine? Matter of fact, Jesus teaches that eternity in hell for some will be worse than for others. Is there total separation from God's love and grace and kindness in hell for everybody? Yes. But the severity of condemnation will be different. It will be worse for those cities of old than for those that harm a child, Jesus says. Look what Jesus says. The language here is designed to communicate severe t- punishment, and there are graduations of evil and graduations of torment and hell. And here's the thing you have to keep in perspective. While we would see this and go, boy, this is so unloving and this is so harsh, remember who has authority over life and death. Perhaps we've lost our sense of awe and reverence. And that God is a God who can do anything he wants. And the language of cutting people into pieces is, is severe metaphorical language that's meant to speak of extreme judgment. Matter of fact, when Jesus said cutting them into pieces, they would immediately know, the Jewish mind would immediately know First Chronicles chapter 20. Write that down. Because that's when David went into Ammonite territory and people who totally heard about God and disregarded God were judged by being cut into pieces. And Jesus is alluding to what happened in 1 Chronicles chapter 20 for anyone who knows that there's a God who hears of God's will and blatantly disregards it. Versus the person who may not know God and or his will, but there's still no excuse for them because they are still held accountable because of two other things, creation and conscience. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. Therefore, no one is without excuse because God has made himself evident in creation. Number two, God has made himself known and no one is without excuse because he's made himself known in your conscience. So just because someone says, I never heard of Jesus, they're not off the hook. 
This is, this is the severe mercy of God and the severe judgment of God. See, to him who is given much, much shall be required. I feel for those people who, maybe they sit in, the, in church Sunday after Sunday, and they hear, and the more hearing, accountability is, and yet there's no relationship. That's why we start with relationships. Because accountability only means something delightful when there's relationship. But when there's no relationship, accountability becomes something to be feared, feared of and scared of. And people know, people suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, Romans 1 said. And yet, when that suppression breaks loose, it won't be a pretty day for those who have no relationship with the king, the master. So we have to understand, for every single person born into this world, we're all born as sinners. Everyone knows that there's a God. No one is without excuse. And so Jesus says to us that this is not an issue of doing wrong, but it's an issue also of failing to do what is right. And that's huge. James chapter 4, verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One day we will stand before him and it will be an evaluation, first and foremost, of your relationship to the master. But secondly, if you have a relationship, you will be evaluated how faithfully did you live your life to his will and his kingdom. But if there's no relationship, all the ways we've lived our lives divorced from God will be heaped upon those that had no relationship and they will suffer for eternity. You know what this tells me? This tells me that I want to continue to go out and, and tell people about the Master and how good He is and how gracious He is, how kind He is. Don't, don't soft pedal this. Right? We, we, if you miss Christmas Eve, you miss an amazing night. I'm just going to say that. But one of the things I said at Christmas Eve, I'll say here, is there's so many people saying 2020 sucked ass. Have you not heard that? Or maybe that's just the sinful circle I run with. Let's be honest. People are like, this is the worst year ever. And I'm not going to minimize the fact that probably out of those, those statements come this, I've lost loved ones, I've lost my job, the economy's tanked, my guy didn't get in the voting office, whatever. But I'm going to declare to you that while 2020 may suck to a lot of people, and may be the worst year ever, I'm going to tell you it may be the worst, best year ever, and you need to change your perspective. And here's what I said on Christmas Eve. Because we have lived a life where God has been whispering to us in our pleasures, but it's time now that he shouts to us in our pain. 
If you thought that was Scott Morgan originally, you're not. It's Dr. Lewis again, C.S. Lewis. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We are eternal creatures that were never designed to fully find satisfaction in this world. And if your heart craves satisfaction, it's because you were made for a different world. C.S. Lewis again. I, how, I love how Lewis, again, 70, 60, 70 years later, still articulates things that we can connect with. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe 2020 was the best year ever. Because God removed all those false securities and those false delights and those false satisfactions and those false idols from our lives to remind us that we're eternal creatures and this world is not all there is. Will you go forth and take the message of Christ? If, if, that's, if you're connected to the, the heart of the master and you have a relationship with him, would you have a sensitivity to those who don't know Christ, that are far from Christ? Would you serve God's kingdom that way and at least tell people about eternity? Because I heard a great story, and I'll close with this. There's a hospital in Montana who has a new, so you know when babies are born in a hospital, it plays the lullaby thing? Well, now there's a hospital in Montana that's started a new trend, trend when it comes to COVID-19. When someone is released from the hospital, they play Beethoven's Ode to Joy. They call it Code Joy. And when you hear code joy, that means someone made it and they get to go home. How many people do you know are, are spiritually hospitalized now because they're sick? And to know that perhaps someone could be released from this hospital we call sin and be released out back home to a place we call heaven. And I want to hear some code to joys happening. Code joy. To hear the master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. He's returning and he's got rewards. Who's excited? Because obviously you know I am. <laughs> like a little schoolgirl. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. There's still a lot of work to do. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for being a God who has helped us navigate this holiday season as different as it has been for a lot. And, and like I said, as weary as we may be, Lord, we feel the, the weariness of this world. We, we've talked about this year. We've lived through 2020. And yet, Lord, today's message seems so appropriate and so applicable. It, it seems like it's the very thing you want us to continue to remember and continue to lead us forth into this this new year coming lord i pray two things that we would know you and that we would ultimately seek to be accountable to you for everything said everything done everything we put our hands to everything our mindset is set on every place where our heart may be lord may we seek your kingdom and your righteousness and then rest securely in the fact that you're going to take care of us. We have a happy hope. We are looking forward to that blessed day when Christ comes back to take us home. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us, for loving us, 
not just with a gracious and compassionate love, but with an everlasting love. You are truly, truly an awesome God. We love you only because you have loved us. Thank you for adopting us into your family. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face towards you and give you his grace and peace forever and ever. God bless you guys. See you soon. If I don't see you this week, see you next year. Bye-bye.